Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by these great companies that are giving us money to let you listen to their stuff. Bullshit, Kyle. We make this show. We make this show. You and me. Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by us. <laughs> Someone's got to pay the bills, Dan, because it's not our trading. <laughs> <laughs> All right, roll them. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hats on your face. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to The China Shop. I am your host, Kyle, and joining me this week is the magnificent and modern Micah Frame. Micah is the crypto and NFT obsessed CPA who wrote the book on decrypting crypto taxes. Uh, and really, that's the name of his book. <laughs> uh, before we dive into today's discussion, I'd like to take a quick moment to say thank you to our sponsors and friends over at Manscaped, TradePro Academy, and Orderflow Labs. Manscaped is the best below the waist grooming with precision engineered tools for your family jewels. And with the holidays coming up, now is the perfect time to take advantage of our exclusive 20% off and free worldwide shipping using promo code TWOBULLS at manscaped.com. As always, that is the number two. And if you happen to see a holiday special going on there, offering 20% off to everybody, that's only for the holidays. You want to use our code to make sure it stays active forever. Uh, and when it comes to institutional quality trading education, you definitely want to take a look at tradeproacademy.com. In our free Discord server, you'll also find instructions to take advantage of our discount with them as well. And for all those degenerates who enjoy trading futures, you'll want to check out the custom tools and studies over at Orderflow Labs. We don't have any affiliation link with them. We just love their tools. And uh, if you enjoyed today's conversation, you can learn more about today's guest by visiting his website at CryptoTaxCPA.com, or you can check out his book, Decrypting Crypto Taxes. Lastly, be sure to reach out with your suggestions, corrections, or questions for future guests. You can do that via email at twobulls at financialineptitude.com, or you can join our free Discord server where a bunch of amazing people gather to share our struggles and lessons learned with other like-minded market aficionados. Be sure to put all those links in the episode description. And now that we've gotten all that jibber-jabber out of the way, Micah, how are you doing today? Good, man. Appreciate you having me on. Oh, thanks for, for joining us. Uh, it's been a while since we've had a good crypto guest on, so getting to talk to the guy who wrote the book on crypto taxes is always exciting. <laughs> as exciting as taxes can be, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's what I always say is that given the volatility and excitement that comes in the crypto space itself, it mm -hmm. partially offsets against just how ridiculously boring taxes are at their at their core for most people. So what is different about crypto taxes then? How do they differ than like typical capital gains or like a stock transaction? Nothing inherently. The biggest thing is that there's next to no guidance or established case law in crypto right now. Oh. Just given that it is such an emergent market and we're not clear exactly who should be regulating it and the IRS isn't exactly sure how it would should be taxed, we'll always say there if you look for specific established guidance from the IRS on crypto taxes, you can really count the topics with one hand, what oh. they've issued specific guidance on. That's how bad it is. 
So I and I I rattle through this list so often I should just have it on lock, but <laughs> they've they've said that coin for coin trades are taxable. They've said that you can't do 1031 exchanges, that right now your crypto wallets don't don't count as foreign for FBAR bank account reporting purposes. Mm-hmm. They've said that mining income is business income. And they've said that airdrops and hard forks, assuming you receive a new token because of the hard fork, that's taxable income. And that's it. So mm-hmm. all the stuff that we're going to, or at least could touch on today, we're talking about NFTs, staking, nodes, play to earn, gaming, just the, this amazing amount of stuff that is continually expanding in the space. We don't have any explicit guidance on how that should be taxed. So... Huh we end up doing is we try to find something that's reasonably analogous with an established case law or established IRS guidance and say, okay, well, based on the parameters and based on the substance, we think this is applicable. But like you can just Google IRS guidance, (laughs) how it should be taxed. So it, it presents a real challenge for everybody involved, be it the, the taxpayer or the tax pro assuming you're not in crypto professionally the way the way that we are and we're we're just deep in the space so we understand it if you're just doing someone's taxes and they invest in crypto and ask you how it should be taxed you're not going to find anything authoritative on the majority of these topics so then well let's back up just a step then as you talk about how there's very little guidelines uh last i had heard they still haven't even agreed on a definition like or even who's responsible for overseeing it oh Has no any of that no la- i mean i think with the whole ftx collapse it's more likely that the sec is the one who's going to have oversight just given that they've got more author just more resources than mm-hmm. the um Oh, I always commodities future the CFTC. I think is the other one that has been brought into the discussion. Yeah, yeah. it'll probably. I'm guessing it'll be the SEC, just because I think this showcases how big the crypto market is, and that <laughs> you really need some an agency with true enforcement ability. But yet, yeah, we don't even know if who's supposed to enforce it. We're not. The IRS can't even agree on a definition. What you said, definition. Um, right. They said years ago that cryptocurrency was considered property for the purposes of U.S. income tax. Well, there was a lawsuit that recently got dismissed, but a, a couple was suing over how their staking income should be taxed. And in in their complaint, they quoted the IRS like word for word saying, <laughs> for U.S. income tax purposes, cryptocurrency is considered property. And the IRS just in their response said, well, we deny that in all instances it's property. So it's huh. just that that's that's <laughs> the landscape we're living in right now. That's also not typical in the legal landscape either. You can't say something and be like, oh, it's not what I meant. Yeah. Oh, it's I mean, it's it's an absolute nightmare. And I and I understand sort of why the IRS is doing it because you can put anything on the blockchain and say okay well i tokenize this asset so it's not a security now it's it's property mm-hmm. I, I understand that they're kind of trying to hedge given that there can be so many different use cases for what crypto is being used for but i mean how are the people who are trying to 
do their income taxes, stay compliant, do anything. How are you supposed to operate when that is the the ambiguity that we're having to to deal with? Uh, is I mean, correct. It seems to me like we're setting up a lot of people for some really painful. Uh, um, what's the word? Not back taxes, but uh, like an, like an audit situation. Yeah, like whatever you try to do now without real guidance now, like are you still on the hook if they come back two years from now and decide, no, 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 this is the way it needs to be done. You, you very well could be. And it really is going to depend on exactly what is the new guidance that they issued. How big is the transaction? If you had a couple hundred dollars, you're unlikely for them to really right. flag you and for it to matter. And it's also going to pe- it's going to be whatever the disconnect is, the way that you treated it on the front end uh, when you filed your taxes versus their ultimate interpretation. Hmm. And that's one of the reasons why we, a lot of crypto bros especially, will they kind of go back to the sort of Silk Road idea of crypto and it's like, it's all anonymous and the IRS doesn't <laughs> need to know about this and I'm not going to pay any tax on it. And, and that's all nonsense for some pretty yeah. obvious reasons. But what we tell people is, look, we got to report the income. Like that's the, e- that's the easiest thing to start off with. And based on the guidance we have and prior case law, here's the way we're going to structure it. This is the way we think is the most advantageous for you. It'll minimize your tax bill. But even if the IRS does, if, if our interpretation does end up being wrong or the IRS just takes a different stance, at least then we can point to that you weren't trying to hide anything. There was no fraudulent intent, right. even when it wasn't clear if you necessarily needed to report this, you did. So then if there were any penalties or interest, it's much easier than to make a case for, I was trying to do the right thing here. Right. And yeah, sure. I'll pay the tax now because you told me to, but all this other stuff, let's be reasonable here, given what the landscape when I filed this tax return three years ago. Okay. That makes sense. Um, So I was looking through your website and I was looking at some of the other situations and there's some in here that I didn't even think about. Uh, so like using paying for a service with a cryptocurrency, like how does that get taxed? Well, again, it's something that hopefully this will get changed in the future. And there's legislation that will hopefully correct this. But right now, if you're paying with anything with crypto, well, cryptocurrency for now is considered property. So mm-hmm. when you when you pay a vendor and you use Bitcoin or Ethereum or even a stable coin, you're dis- when you're paying them, you're disposing of an asset then. So right. you're supposed to ha- report it on Schedule D where you put your proceeds, your cost basis, and, and your holding period. And it doesn't take too long to imagine just how the logistical nightmare that is since there's no minimum threshold that you have to meet. So if you're using a crypto debit card right now and every time you swipe, you're spending your crypto to, to pay for that transaction and thereby you're disposing of your crypto. Yeah. You go get a cup of, cup of coffee for $2. You're technically supposed to keep track of that and report it on your tax return. So there was some legislation that got proposed last year or that hasn't gotten any movement or actually, no, it was earlier this year. I'm saying that, um, mm-hmm. but it was the virtual currency fairness act or virtual currency equality fairness act, something like that. 
that said that if the transaction was under $200, that they would be exempt from the reporting requirements. So hopefully that or something similar like it gets put into legislation, because otherwise it's just another hurdle for crypto to have to get past when you think, okay, well, I could use my my credit card or I could pay with crypto, but if I pay with crypto, I've got to keep right. a ledger for the transaction. Well, I think it just goes to the the weird definition that crypto falls under. Like if you're mm-hmm. using it to pay for services, then it's a currency at that point, I would think. I mean, it, it that's what we're moving towards. But at the moment, the only thing the IRS has said is that it's that it's property. So we're if you're paying for services, you not only do you have if you're running if you're paying for business services, do you need to keep track of that that expense, right. which which is difficult because then you've got to know what was the crypto worth as of the date you paid the vendor, what were the gas fees, all, all of that. Mm-hmm. But then you've also got a capital gain or capital loss to cope with. So th- that's one of the reasons why crypto as a currency, one, one of the many reasons that for all the stuff that blockchain can do, crypto has really failed uh, pretty dramatically so far, at least in terms of being an actual currency and um, payment method. Well, yeah, but that's not necessarily crypto's fault. That's more of just the undefined nature of it at yeah. this point, right? Well, yeah, I mean that that component of it, absolutely. Yeah. Um, before when we just had Bitcoin, you have you know, thirty minutes for a transaction to process, so you can't really use that for payment oh. processing. <laughs> right. But so, I mean, there there are some technical at limitations, but from the the tax and regulatory standpoint, yeah, that's not crypto's fault. What are some other scenarios where uh, the tax law gets really murky that you wouldn't necessarily think of? Oh, geez, Louise, it's just the whole, <laughs> it's the, the whole, <laughs> the whole landscape. Um, well, one one example is that going back to to staking, which that's what almost all of the new tokens over the past couple of years are are these proof of stake protocols. So that's mm-hmm. that's what that's what most tokens are now, or what a lot of them are, are moving towards. Cyrus hasn't issued any guidance on how staking income should be taxed. So based on the other guidance that they've given, we have a reasonably... So since the IRS has issued guidance on airdrops and hard forks and that it's taxable upon receipt and when you gain what they call dominion and control over the asset, which is basically when you receive unfettered access to to use it or sell it or whatever you want to do with it, that's when it's taxable. That and this lawsuit that the couple filed against the IRS on on staking income, the IRS wants you to claim staking income when it's when you meet those criteria and basically when it's received, even though they haven't issued explicit guidance on it. Mm-hmm. The couple who was suing them, they took the position that since crypto is property, that it shouldn't be taxable until you dispose of the asset. So they're saying when you're staking your tokens, that is the you are aiding in the creation of a new asset. And they right. use the an, an example of a baker who, who buys some flour and eggs and makes a cake. He's not taxed on it until he actually sells the cake. Right. Yeah, that makes so sense. So that's one argument. It's not the one that the IRS has taken right now. But... And anyway, like for staking, if you're receiving staking rewards, then we treat it basically the way that you would 
interest income for all intents and purposes. So, okay, the, that's sort of a rambling answer, but say, okay, so that's how staking income is taxed. Well, what if you are not delegating your tokens, you, know, you're, you're, you have your tokens and you're delegating them with a node or a validator, but let's say you're actually operating a node yourself. Okay. How is that taxed? And again, we have no guidance from the IRS, but when you look at the particulars of what all goes into operating most nodes, you've got to have a certain level of expertise to do it. You have, you have time to make sure the node keeps on running on an ongoing basis. There's just, there's more to it. So what we, our stance and sort of the consensus of crypto tax professionals is that node income is taxed like mining income. Mm -hmm. Even though you're getting even though it's still staking income technically, even though you're still receiving staking rewards, given how you're having to operate it, you need to treat it like you would mining income. And mining income, the IRS has said, is business income. That makes sense too. <laughs> so you have you have that, <laughs> and then you can just kind of go down this ridiculous rabbit hole where nodes there are some projects out there that say that they're nodes and you're you're a node operator and you're running this node but you look at how they're working and you don't actually have to have a computer you, you don't have to set up a vps or have your computer running you don't have to have the node software actually mm -hmm. running um the, there's all these things where it's just they're giving you tokens regardless of what you're doing and then you say, okay, well, that's not really a node then, is it? They might call it a node, but in terms of actual it's substance. more like a dividend. Right. It's more like a dividend, which then takes it back to the regular staking income. Right. So, <laughs> again, that, uh, hopefully that made sense because I'm, it's purposely con confusing to an extent. But that's just one sort of one little bucket of cryptocurrency tax and in in that we've got sort of these boundless possibilities of things you could consider in ways that it could be taxed right is what we, what we deal with <laughs> so oh man how big is the reference section in your book oh, not 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 big enough i mean <laughs> what we're doing is we're for every chapter because the way that we um we did it was pretty much just as faqs it would yeah. be the questions that we had or people would ask us on how is this taxed? Is this taxable? And we have all sorts of references to the case law or the situations that we think are applicable. Right. But in terms of actual, the, the, the list of things that we can point to, the IRS said this specifically about this specific situation yep. it, it is um, unfortunately very, very short just because it doesn't, that guidance doesn't exist. <laughs> so what what is the government planning on doing to address this then so now you mentioned here, the bill but is there anything else in the pipeline this is what i think is is happening is the the irs that there's all this new funding that they got recently where they're trying to hire all these agents so hopefully this will this will change but over the past 10 to 20 years the irs has been way underfunded and their funding just continues to get slashed. And whenever they do get new funding, it will usually it would usually have some little caveat that, okay, we're giving you new funding, but you can't use this for enforcement or audit activities. You can just use this for like customer service agents. Right. 
So I think given how underfunded they've been, this may be true in general, but especially because they're so underfunded, when the IRS is much happier just enforcing the legislation and regulations that, that Congress passes, because there's no ambiguity then, yeah. they say, okay, this is the law, this is what we have to do, versus if the IRS if they even have the agents, the lawyers on staff to try to come up with their own interpretations, it's still their interpretation. And then someone is very likely to challenge that in court. Which is costly. Very costly, very time consuming. And maybe the IRS loses. Maybe the, the court ultimately ends up siding mm-hmm. with the, the plaintiff. So what it seems like the IRS is doing is they're just really waiting on Congress to give them some some concrete guidance and legislation (laughs) and in the meantime they're working on their ai and they're working on their system so that when they do get this guidance they'll be able to enforce it properly right but i think a lot of people are waiting on the irs to give them guidance and the irs is at the moment it appears to be at least waiting on congress to give them guidance so in the meantime here we are just kind of um just theorizing you're sitting around with a, we know we have to report this but we have no clue how do we're supposed to do that yeah yeah and who knows how long it's going to take congress to put something together for that mhm and and in the meantime people are hiring someone like me and we're we're not cheap by any stress stretch or there's a very few tax attorneys out there who are experts in crypto mm-hmm. and a lot of them are at, at big firms where you're talking about a couple thousand dollars an hour for their expertise and, and they're well worth it, but that's putting that burden on the taxpayer versus. Right. And that's not the way it should be. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, I mean, really, if you want my money, you should tell me what I owe. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, abs- absolutely. But yeah, we're, we're in this kind of bizarre situation where we're just having to, to guess and cross our fingers and hope and for whatever we're doing coming up with a reasonable justification for it in case they do disagree and in case we do get audited it does it does sound like the best path though like you said like at least you've you've tried you can at least show you've tried then you shouldn't get in too much trouble if something goes against you that's all you can do yeah ultimately that's really the only only (laughs) option option you you've got because the people who are going to get get hammered and i'll say this because i'll be in discord servers or a telegram group for whatever Mm -hmm. crypto projects i'm looking at and it'll always be some 18 year old or early 20s guy who's like well can the irs really figure this out you've got the people who who (laughs) are who are you know it's funny asking me as a cpa like they're trying to get me to like a bet help them get get their tax fraud but I think what what we'll always say is what they confuse is that I have they haven't been caught yet with the fact that the IRS can't catch them. And what we're really seeing is that the IRS isn't going after non-filers a whole lot right now. They're they're mo- most of the audits that are happening are, or the letters they'll send out will be things where it's just an automatic discrepancy like, you know, you didn't report your 1099 income or you didn't re- you know, there's some discrepancy with right. what someone filed with them and what you filed. So since a lot of people are operating on DeFi protocols and you know they're not doing it on Coinbase, they're doing it on PancakeSwap or something that's not going to generate a form, they're like, oh yeah, I've been doing this for years. The IRS isn't going to catch me. It, it, 
it's really, really easy mm. once the IRS decides to gear this up. It, they're going to it's going to be super easy for them to find this stuff because yep. they'll the the again the this kind of a rambling answer. But what we'll always they'll always say and what we'll hear is, well, I'm not doing it on a centralized exchange. I'm doing it on on DeFi. They can't track that. And I'm like, okay. That's fair, fair enough. The blockchain the, is every no, transaction no. is signed. Ex- yeah. <laughs> exactly. I said, okay, they're not going to receive a form from this exchange. But if you do get audited, all they're going to need to do is be like, okay, well, you're buying a bunch of stuff on crypto.com. And then you keep sending it to this wallet. Let's check that wallet out. And then yeah. very quickly, all they have to do is rewind one or two steps to the platform where you've got KYC and where you're having to onboard your fiat, and then they're going to figure it out. Yep. So just report the income. We, we try to tax loss harvest. We try to structure it in the most advantageous way. We, we try to do all the things we can when you do report that income to minimize as much as possible. But yeah, just, just report the income. And then we go from there. The next, the next person who says, "Are they really going to be able to catch me?" You got to remind them of the the phrase. Uh, what is it? The only thing certain in life is death and taxes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a reason why that's that said. Yeah. <laughs> right. And what's the what's the like? How long or how far back can they go to look and see like your tax history? So they can go back. In mo- most instances, they'll say they can go back up to three years as of the date you filed. Unless you underreported your income by 25% or more, then they've got six years. Mm-hmm. But if they think you've committed fraud, that, then it's indefinite. So the, the burden of proof on people committing tax fraud is high, so you don't see a, a ton of those. But again, that's all the more reason where we're like, okay, just you don't want to give them any reason no. to claim beyond just criminal charges and anything like that, is that then your statute of limitations never never starts and theoretically they could go after you just indefinitely if you are knowingly doing six figures on some some DeFi right. platform and, and just choosing not to report it. Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen, and I'm pleased to announce that she's back, fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, spullen at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. Oh, okay. So now that we got everybody terrified. <laughs> and I mean, we, we, I try not, to, and it's funny because in, and you know, CPAs can be very conservative or very aggressive. A lot of times we'll, and for most things, we'll lean more on the aggressive side and trying to come up with creative solutions. Like we're not, we're not the CPAs who are always just bang, you're going to get audited, you're going to go to jail. We're not the ones who are just raising alarms. But in the crypto space specifically, we find ourselves more having to be like that because of just how 
aggressive right. and no fear a lot of crypto investors are, we end up having to be that guy more than I am in, with any of our other <laughs> clients and in other industries. Yeah, I think uh, I think most people understand that when somebody like a CPA tells you scenarios that can happen, those are kind of worst case scenarios. Right. Yeah, maybe yeah. they're not likely, but do you really want to take that chance? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's let's rewind just a little bit. So you are definitely really into crypto. It sounds like like how did you get started on on that path? Like what what got you into it to begin with? So. I'll always say that I bought a, a little bit in 2017 during the whole initial coin offering craze and when you know, crypto went nuts for the first time. Mm-hmm. And I threw three grand into a coin it very quickly, turned into $1,000. I said, okay, forget this. I'm, I, I didn't think about it much. <laughs> and we had some clients who were doing it. So we were still learning, but it wasn't like a huge part of our practice. Then around 2020, I looked at and that coin had recovered back up to like six or nine grand. So it wasn't a ton of money, but it was definitely a a really good return. Mm -hmm. And I had a client who was involved in a in a blockchain project who was telling me about about it. And it was the first time where the project, it really clicked for me the use case that crypto could have. What's because the, what was the the case for this? Uh, this one was called Gala Games. So, I I grew up when I was a, a teenager and a kid. I played a, a bunch of video games, and I would yeah. really like those sort the the multiplayer games. So you know, I'd be playing either I think it was Halo Three back in that day, or there was oh, like yeah. these, or there would be like a World of Warcraft type games. And so I'd, I'd always enjoyed that, and you know, I was a nerd. And I'm playing video games, so. This project had a couple components that I thought thought were interesting. One was that instead of for for powering the game and the online access, instead of just having some AWS servers that they're renting, the games are powered by nodes that users would would set up. Huh. So I think right now the Gala Games is powered by like twenty or thirty thousand nodes that people like me have. And that's what when you log on to the site to play the game, it's it's crowdsourcing the the server space. Oh, that's brilliant. So, so okay, that was the first time I'm like, oh, cool. That's like I sort of understood the technical aspect. And then those games are also in this tier of what they call play to earn games, where you can when you're playing the games and if you complete missions, you get a little bit of a cryptocurrency for playing the game. Huh. It's not not a, not a ton of money a lot of times, but again, I would play these games where you'd build up your character and get get gold and buy weapons and buy a house and do all of that. And I was like, okay, if there had been a game where I could have even earned a couple dollars a day, that's that's yeah. the only game I would have been playing. So <laughs> right. that 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 made sense to me. And then the games, the a lot of the items that you're purchasing in the game you're able they're they're nfts so then you're able to sell them and buy them on the open market which i think the one of the games i played like i had my character's combat stats maxed out and i had all this gold and had all this stuff but you couldn't you couldn't sell the character and you couldn't sell your items because it was just against the the terms of service Mm -hmm. so i think i sold when i when i was either done with college or you know, I, I knew I wasn't going to be playing anymore. I sold my character and all the stuff, which for probably like two, three hundred dollars, if it hadn't been against the terms of service, 
I had so many years in that thing, it probably would have been worth like $5,000. Right. So I was, that was the one where I was like, okay, you know, I get it. And that was the first time that I understood the utility a specific project would have. Because up until that point, it's a bunch of people who are really crypto enthusiasts or tech people saying blockchain technology is important. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. But I didn't understand like, okay, blockchain is great, but it's also open source a lot of times. Like, why does this token have value? Why is this specific project? And that was the first time it sort of clicked for me. So after that, that was sort of like my never going back moment because then I started getting into other like looking at other projects I started and at as we were just doing it really getting enthused about the space we very quickly realized when I was trying to do my own tax planning and tax planning for the clients I was meeting in the space (laughs) I was like there's nothing out here so we realized there was a pretty significant need and since there's a need a pretty good um potential for us just on the CPA firm side so how has business been? Um, really good up until a couple months. <laughs> like, like anyone, we we uh, we deal with the the ebbs and the flows of the the market. Um, it because one of the things that's been crazy, and one of the things we try to caution people on is twenty twenty one was so hot, and we had people coming to us who made six seven figures, but then what? One of the horror stories we'll run into, and these are oh, people who God, end up yeah. not not becoming clients because they don't have the money a lot of times, is they made seven figures in 2021, but they just kept reinvesting all their profits. And these are realized gains. Like they're trading, right. they're doing it's not like they're just hodling. They're they're they've got realized taxable transactions, but they kept rolling it back into whatever project was making them money. And then the market, the, some of these projects are down 50 to 99%. So you've got people who have six-figure tax bills from their crypto income, but their portfolio is down so much they don't have any mechanism to, to pay the taxes. And that, that becomes a big problem when it's split in tax years, right? Uh-huh, exactly. Because if it happened in the same year, they should be able to offset the losses. Yeah, absolutely. But. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it depends a li- it depends a little bit on like the bucket of income you're in. Like if you if you've got a bunch of node income, then that's business income. But then if you're selling the tokens for a big loss, those are capital losses, and you can only use capital losses up to three thousand dollars against ordinary income. Unless so you there have are pattern day trader, right? Yeah. Does so that still are... apply for crypto too? I, we think the same parameters will be applicable, but the the IRS has not issued okay um, any guidance. One of one of the many things, <laughs> right, right, and in, yeah. in the list. Um, so there there are some caveats that you've got to be careful exactly where you've got your gains and where you've got your losses, what bucket they fall into. But to your general point, absolutely, the biggest issue you run into is when it there's it splits tax years, and yeah. then you're not able to to offset oh god that yeah there's gonna be a lot of those coming out here soon oh it's it's going to be it, it is awful and i think it's it i mean it's that's the tax trap you run into is when you've got a real bull year followed by by bear market and that's true of any sort of investment but given the volatility of crypto you you seem to run into that a lot right. more and a lot more severely than you would if you're you're trading stocks 
So if the person that had that happen to him, they made six, seven figures in 21 and then watched it all evaporate in 22, but hadn't paid their tax bill yet. Like what options do they have? Not a tremendous amount, which is one of the reasons like you can try to go to the IRS and you know, first, first you look at how you're, you're filing. Like one person we talked to, they were doing, um, they're doing FIFO for their, First in, first out. Yeah, they're doing first in, first out for their their trading. We said, well, based on the way you're trading, let's go into your coin tracker or whatever they're using. And we switched it to HIFO, which is highest in, first out. Mm -hmm. And that I think that knocked them down 100 or 200 grand or something just by changing the accounting method. So -hmm. there's things that we can do to try to knock that bill down and see if there's anything, any maneuverability we have. But assuming, like, let's just say that there's not, or we did everything we could, and it's still a big number, um, you can request an installment agreement with the IRS. You can uh, do an offer and compromise where you say, "Look, I don't, I don't have the money, I'm, and I'll, you know, here's what I, I can give you." But the the IRS is like any creditor is isn't stupid. They're going to look at your age or other sources of income, your right. assets. They're not just going to give it to you for free because the crypto market went down. They're going to look at everything. And I think offering compromises too, at a minimum, they ha- it has to be at least twenty percent of the tax you owe. So even if you got astoundingly lucky, and even if you, like even if everything worked worked your way, it's still at best going to be twenty percent of what you're what you're owing. Right. So that's one of the reasons why, and it it ends up sounding like a a pitch for our services and partially it is, but more than anything, I just say, I don't care if you hire us. I don't care if you do it yourself. I don't care if you find someone, someone else who's an expert in this, but the, the whole old cliche of an ounce of prevention being worth a pound of cure is so right. So true. And again, do it in, you've got to do so much of your planning before the year ends. Mm-hmm. You've got to do, you know, changing your entity structure, doing your tax loss harvesting, just tracking your income as it goes, all that stuff. Once January hits, you're you're pretty well hosed. So you really got to do it in real time. Is there anything that people should be looking at now? I mean, we've got, I think this is coming out on Friday the 16th. So we've got about two weeks to the end of the year. With, with the end of the year, at, at least right now, crypto isn't subject to the wash sale rules. That's how long that exclusion is going to, or not even an, ex, an exclusion. It's just a loophole because they haven't, they, did, they didn't carve it in specifically. They just haven't gotten <laughs> around to, to including in the definition. So well, oh, hang on before you, uh, the wash sale rule, that's the, when you sell something, you have to wait so long before you can buy it again. Yeah. You got to wait at least 30 or 31. I yeah, can't remember okay. if it's 30, greater than 30 days or 30 days. Um, you, you've got to wait. I think it, I think you have to wait the 31 days before you can buy it back. Otherwise, the loss gets disallowed because right. the IRS says, "Hey, you're not really disposing of the asset. You're just you just did this on paper." But since crypto right isn't a security right now, it's not subject to the wash sale rule, so you can sell your tokens and immediately buy them back, and you still generate a realized capital loss. Okay. So especially since people are so, especially if you got involved in 2021 and we all sort of chase after, we get it, we, we enter the market when we shouldn't. Right. Um, especially if you're underwater, like a lot of people are, 
it makes a lot of sense to go ahead and if you're way underwater in a position, go ahead and realize the loss. And then either you have it there to offset against whatever gains you've had during the year, or you use $3,000 this year, and then it carries forward indefinitely for when you do end up having capital gains. So there's not much oh. downside to to doing that. I didn't realize it carried over. I thought it was kind of a this no, year. No, you, you no, know, you use $3,000 in the current year, and then it just carries forward indefinitely $3,000 a year or until you have those gains. So ah. that that's one of the, the simplest main things we talk we tell people to do. Um, in weird cases, since this is a down year, occasionally it can make sense to actually accelerate your income mm-hmm. and real realize some gains or certain node projects, certain projects you've got a little bit more control as to when you realize the income. Sometimes it can make going through the examples takes like. 20 minutes so it's not worth it but (laughs) when you go through the math and you kind of realize okay well you take the hit here that starts your holding period and all of that there can be pretty significant long-term benefits to just taking the hit now Mm -hmm. but when you do sell the token or do your second third fourth transaction in that a couple years from now there can be some big savings okay um the other thing is if you are operating a node or you're doing mining since that's business income and that's subject to social self-employment tax, the employer and employee halves of Social Security and Medicare, um, there can be some real benefit to setting up an entity and having that entity either taxed as an S corporation or in, or in sort of niche situations, maybe as a C corporation. Okay. And But to do that, you can't set up the entity and in February of 2023 and run it all through your corporation. It, you know, if the entity didn't exist, there's yeah. nothing you can do. Yeah. Yeah. But creating the entity and doing the election on those can also um, make a lot of sense. That, that's something that you got to plan. You're planning for 23. If you're going to start going that route. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you've already, if you had the entity and you've been in substance, you've been running everything through that entity, you could, request like s corp taxation retroactive to the beginning of the year mm-hmm. um, you have to request an, an exception for filing it late right. but yeah for most people if you weren't already operating your your mining or node business that way you don't have the entity we're yeah we're more talking about starting 2023 on the right foot all right sounds like some good good advice or not advice wait are we giving advice <laughs> <laughs> do i need to run the disclaimer again yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some good thoughts, some good ideas, good things yeah. to check into. Uh, we've danced around this for for a little bit here uh, for the last forty minutes that we've been talking here, but uh, I got to ask you about your thoughts on the FTX collapse. Oh, geez, um, it's a. I mean, obviously, it's it's a debacle all around, and we've got we're getting more and more information all, all the time. Um, in terms of what I th- I think. Long term, it, it set the crypto market and the public trust factor and probably is going to increase the re- it, It's bad for the crypto space in the short term, pretty, pretty mm-hmm. obviously, because it right. shook public confidence. We needed some degree of regulation in the crypto space, as this very well proves. I think the regulation we get now is it's more likely to be a little overboard compared to what we would have gotten otherwise. 
so there there's a lot of negatives to it given the details that may or may not be true as they're emerging where it seems like fbs they were trying to manipulate the market weren't actual crypto believers um there is a long-term benefit to getting bad players out of the space that hopefully is duquan still involved in anything or has he been finally ousted completely i think he just i think he just kind of hid after terror (laughs) collapse but even (laughs) even his is interesting because like yeah he they mismanaged that horribly and it was Mm -hmm. just but that one just seemed like they didn't really know what they were doing and got a got a a bank run happened and they didn't have the protocols to to correct it versus and and maybe I'm wrong on that but the FTX situation the markers of just how intentionally fraudulent these things were makes Doquan look like a look like a saint yeah Doquan Doquan looked like he just didn't understand how to because he was trying to use algorithms to stabilize Terra, mm-hmm. right? Uh, yeah. But he was using something based on an inherently volatile <laughs> uh, right. uh, asset to back it. And uh, the, that just exposed, obviously, the, the flaws that they had. Yeah. So they, they they had a business that just was ill-conceived and did not obviously did not work out and wiped out $60 billion of market cap and, you know, Whereas, three days yeah ftx i mean from what i could see they were taking customer deposits and then just giving it to their or loaning it out to their their investment yeah and and against the um, terms and against the terms and conditions because they keep trying to say well you could have opted into the margin account but i think they're saying like of the 10 billion dollars that's missing like only 1 billion of it could have been accounted for on the margin accounts and that's also oh. not even how margin accounts are supposed no. to work. <laughs> um, the thing that is interesting just from a pure tax side on the FTX situation is that for most of these other exchanges that have gone underwater, so Celsius, Voyager, BlockFi, um, I, can, I can never remember if Gemini is announced yet or they're just saying that they might. Uh, Coinbase but, was in some trouble too, last I saw. Yeah, I saw that CZ was like trying to make it seem like USDC wasn't backed or, or something like that. <laughs> um, but with those, if you lose money on you know, an insolvent exchange, when the time it will take for you to be able to actually write off that loss takes a while because you have to know that you're not going to get anything back from the bankruptcy proceedings. Mm-hmm. So even though you've got t- funds on Celsius you know, you're going to get probably zero to 5% of your deposits or something like that. You've still got to w- let it work through the process b- until it's clear that it is permanently un- unrecoverable. And and we also know exactly how much you're going to lose because we'll know if you're getting anything back from the bankruptcy proceedings. Mm-hmm. FTX is a di- falls into a different bucket, or at least I should say, seems like it will fall into a di- different bucket. Because there's specific provisions out there for people who are victims of Ponzi schemes. It it came around in in 2009 when Bernie Madoff's Ponzi scheme came unraveled. And you had all of these people who were saying, hey, I've got got a $100 million loss from what Bernie stole from me. I don't want to take that $3,000 at a time. I want to be able to take the whole (laughs) loss now. And so the IRS issued a revenue ruling and an 
accompanying revenue procedure that outlined that you can take the whole the loss all at once if you're a victim of a Ponzi scheme. Mm-hmm. And one of the, the it's a long revenue ruling and a lot of different guidance on it. But one of the big things to qualify that for that is fraudulent intent. Okay. And have they proven that yet? Not yet. It certainly and, and, seems and, and, like it's on the way. And they may right. Um, <laughs> And and they may not, and they don't even. The person doesn't even necessarily have to be convicted for for the revenue procedure right. that you that you can use. You don't have to, but one of the ways that makes it a little bit easier is this revenue procedure. I think the the officer has to be charged with a crime, not that they get convicted. Okay, okay. So if FTX and the details are mirroring what it seems like we're getting, then people who lost funds on FTX could claim the specific relief as victims of a Ponzi scheme. So that that's one of the things that they sh- people who are FTX investors should be aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, what's interesting though, I know we're running out of time, is that when you look at the, the analysis from that revenue ruling back in 2009 with Bernie Madoff, it can't, it can't be like a derivative exposure to the Ponzi scheme. So people who lost money on BlockFi... Oh. Aren't aren't going to unless you can show that people at BlockFi were aware of the fraud or oh, were involved. No. So you're going to have a lot of people who are like, okay, if the details look like what they look like now, then FTX depositors will have a certain amount of relief. But all the people who ended up as like collateral damage and because of their of FTX that. exposure, they're they're not going to get the same benefit. Oh no! So and. It, the whole thing, the whole thing is an absolute mess, but it is, it's going to be really interesting because you're going to have so many people who got some, some degree of direct or indirect mm-hmm. exposure yeah, to this, trying to figure out exactly what, what treatment is available to them. Is this our generation's uh, end run? I mean, they, I think they've said that we don't know the full exposure, but I think Enron was like, 25 billion or something i think ftx last i saw they've already found like 60 billion or something and like i think it's bigger it's bigger than enron and the i can't remember the guy's name but the the new ceo of ftx who was involved in the and he goes in whenever there's these issues and he was involved in cleaning up enron oh i remember yes i could see that and he said he's i've never in my career seen anything like this i think patrick boyle talked about that on his youtube um which is which is really saying something given this guy's background yeah he um i don't know did you happen to read like any of the bankruptcy filings or just like the snippets that were getting shared around uh no i was kind of following a little bit on i mentioned patrick boyle's youtube uh, he's okay. been he's been covering it really nicely, and he's got a nice Irish accent that makes it okay. just a little yeah, more that, entertaining. It <laughs> always helps, yeah. But I think they I need to find it. But one of the things, like they had no internal controls, didn't have an internal accounting team, right? Like, it, you know, it was all bonkers. But it, it was either for employees' payroll or reimbursements or something. The way that it was getting processed was with emojis. Like people would say, "Yeah, hey, yeah, I need yeah. yes." <laughs> That was the great. That was the funniest part to me is you've got this like multi-billion-dollar company and they're processing payment approvals. Or what about what about uh, Sam uh, telling his employees that they should be deleting all their communication histories? Oh yeah, I (laughs) mean, regularly does it and is encouraging others to. Yeah, I mean it's and that that's the stuff that's 
I know. Who knows? It, it, that should sink in. Whether or not it will, who knows? But okay. Well, let me let me ask you that because this is something that I think uh, people are are wondering is. Would any of regulations have stopped this from happening? Or is there anything that's actually in place now that should have stopped this from happening? I mean, it's tough because FTX specifically, they were based in the Bahamas because Mm. of the lack of regulation. And granted, there was FTX US, but a lot of their, they strategically had it there. I think they even moved from Hong Kong to try to get more, more lax regulation. So it gets a little bit murky just because we're talking about you know mm-hmm. a, a worldwide economy and regulations. But I mean, one of the ba- most basic things would be just some sort of uh, regulation would help because just proof of reserves. How many exchanges right. out there actually show proof of reserves? Um, if they if they had things where they were forced to act as a true custodian, which I think is really important, not only for customer pr- protections. But just to get mainstream adoption of crypto, if if I have money in Fidelity or Vanguard, they can't just go. You know, that is in some. Right. That, that's I know that money's actually directly or indirectly. That that money's there. If something happened to that exchange, you should still be able to get your share certificates and whatever assets you've purchased in there. You should right. still be able to own those, right? They can't right. liquidate your holdings in order to save themselves. Right. Exactly. So. The fact that that doesn't exist in crypto is, is crazy. And mm-hmm. because it doesn't exist, and as we're seeing with all of these exchange failures and people are just losing their life savings, you've got holding crypto, which is should be the easy part, is one of the most difficult things because you either have to go self-custody, which you could lose your keys. Mm-hmm. It's a little more confusing to set up. So grandma and grandpa are never going to be doing it so they're just going to they're going to be left out of crypto entirely or you leave it on a centralized exchange and just really hope that they don't go under so <laughs> you're that, never going to get people who are really get no one crypto is never going to become mainstream the way crypto enthusiasts want it to if buying it is is a, on its own buying right. and holding it is a challenge as long as that remains a challenge that's going to be really bad so at the very least just true segregation of funds and like them uh, even some accuracy. fdic insurance would be nice yeah. and not just the uh, like though i can't remember which the exchange was but they placed it all over their website saying that they were fdic insured. i think voyager and voyager, i think yes yeah, yeah and i think the bank came out afterwards is like that's only if we go under yeah not, <laughs> we're not going under <laughs> And, and that's another, I looked in one of these articles, I'll write these articles and blogs, but I looked it up and I think it was whatever the most recent year that had been reported, mm-hmm. which I think was 2020, there were four banks that went under and like, you know, had, to, you know, FDIC insurance came into play. Uh-huh. Four. And you got FDIC insurance versus how many crypto exchanges do we have just this year? Right. So... I don't know regulation like anything else. It's sort of like it's it's balance and you can go overboard. or You can be way too lax. But to your question, yes, some regulation absolutely could have stopped this. And some regulation is is very much needed. 
So last uh, last thing then we can leave people with, uh, what do you think the future for crypto is? These recent events expose flaws or do you think that was just a bump in the road and you still like them uh, long term? I still I still really like it. I'm always I'm big on sort of utility tokens and utility projects like, you know, for lack of a better term, if you're calling it Web3 or whatever you, you want. I think from a technological standpoint, there's there's so much potential there. Mm-hmm. And I think you know, crypto in some capacity is here to stay. Like I'm, I'm really bullish on crypto in the long term. I do think this, these fail, this cascade of failures, and especially FTX, given just the what seems to be outright fraud that happened there. I think that's going, to, that's going to set us back a good two to five years. I think is my guess. Yeah, that seems reasonable. But like you said too, we might have uh, been able to prune the garden a bit. Yeah, hopefully, right. Yeah, get some of these bad actors out of the space and hopefully rebuild better. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, any uh, any last thoughts you want to leave the listeners with? No, I mean, it sort of goes to the ounce prevention pound of cure, but keep track of it dur- during the year. Like this, I know that it's magic internet money and <laughs> crypto investors have just a sort of amazing risk tolerance and they don't care if they lose. Like I get all of that, but the tax bills and tax ramifications are very real. So just don't, don't ignore it. Just keep track of it during the year. And you'll be, if you're doing planning throughout the year, you'll be completely fine. If you're ignoring it, you might be fine or you might end up literally driving you to bankruptcy because you made $10 million in 2021 and your, your project went completely kaput. And now you've got a couple million dollar tax bill and no, no ability to pay it all right well sadly folks we've come to the end of our time with micah but do not worry because there is plenty more to see at his website at cryptotaxcpa.com and you've also got his book decrypting crypto taxes we'll have links for that in the episode description we'll also have links for his socials if you want to follow him uh, but for now we have to say thank you to micah for taking the time to chat with us and we want to say thank you to everyone who stuck around to the end be back soon with another exciting episode, but until then, bye. <laughs> Have fun counting your magic internet money. <laughs>